This is Leaders Who Scale, and I'm Jeff Siegel. I've worked with thousands of companies over the years, and I'm fascinated by seeing how many of them grow and scale. Join me as we learn from the leaders of growing companies and share that knowledge. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class accounting, advisory, and QuickBooks and Acumatica Cloud ERP services. Today's guest has ownership in businesses in six different industries, spread over 60 locations nationwide, generating more than 50 million in annual revenue. He's an acquisition authority. He specializes in buying and holding simple businesses that are easy to understand, at least 10 years in business, and they generate between one and five million a year in owner earnings. And they have stable management. He doesn't get into turnaround situations. So he owns locations of European Wax Center, Plato's Closet, Disc Replay, My Salon Suite, and Superior Fence and Rail. I want to welcome Nick Leja. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on and love to hear uh, your story and uh, some of the challenges that you have with doing what you do. Um, sure. So, yeah. So the first thing I ask is... Um, Typically, I, I ask, what's the most challenging aspect of scaling um, a company? You have multiple companies. So really, what is your biggest challenge in doing what you do? Um, probably my biggest challenge doing what I do, uh, whenever I, I buy a new company, that comes with it a, a slew of problems, new new team members to work through, new challenges, and a bunch of different things. And, and there's an incredible amount of work. So I think it kind of two things come to mind when it comes to scaling or buying new businesses that I focus on. One, and I'm sure you've heard this from many people you spoke with, uh, it's all about the team members, just getting the right people in the right seats, giving them the right incentives. Uh, you know, in, instead of motivating people, hire self-motivated people, then work, then basically just stay out of their way and make sure you don't demotivate them. So I, I don't think there's any secret to the people aspect of it. The second aspect I do is I try to prevent myself from getting into a trap of checking boxes. So I try to make it so I have nothing to do all day. It's kind of like my goal. So I try to reduce, if I'm getting emails all the time, text messages, phone calls, which usually happens as soon as I buy a business, obviously I address them. And then I usually take it a step further and I try to figure out, okay, how can I prevent this phone call from happening, this email from being sent? What are some ways that I can streamline things and make it easier? Because if I am a slave to my phone and my inbox and text messages. And if I can't step away for four hours with a bunch of fires burning, I'm not really going to be able to think strategically, find the next acquisition, find ways to improve the business. I'm just going to be kind of like, you know, caught on the front line. So um, I have an engineering background. So I really just try to systematize things and streamline things and prevent myself from getting into a checkbox type of type of mindset. How involved do you actually get on, with the companies that you purchase? Um, you know, obviously there's multiple companies that you right now are, are an owner of. And right. um, like like we mentioned earlier, you're looking for stable management already. So you're not you don't want to jump into the this role of you know working in the company, making all the major decisions. I'm right. just curious how you know how involved you are in that aspect of these companies that you you own. As soon as I acquire a business, I'm, I'm very heavily involved. So typically, like my first month of taking over a business, my first priority is the team. So I try to schedule one-on-ones with, with all the team or as many of the team members as possible. I try to understand what are the roles, what do they like about the job, what do they not like about the job. Most importantly, what are some of their pain points in the current company that they don't like that I can alleviate? And then I definitely make a list of those action items. Uh, because my first thing, I'm trying to build trust with the team. I'm trying to get them to trust me, me to trust them, and just kind of understand how that all works. Um, usually the second month I focus on the processes. I try to understand, 
you know, with whatever the, co- the company is selling or doing, what are all the different touch points with the customers and employees and vendors and how does that all flow through to find ways to systematize things, streamline them and, and make things more efficient. And then month three, I'm very involved in uh, taking actions. I feel if I just come in and talk the talk, but don't walk the walk, that's a, that's a quick way to lose trust with the staff. So in month three, I, all those pain points that the team members address, anything that I can fix, I try to fix those really quickly to improve their quality of life, streamline processes, et cetera. So the first three months, I'm very heavily involved. And then my goal is I try to find like the right, the right person to put in charge of the company. And maybe it's somebody who's already there. I mean, that's my preferred situation. I don't like bringing in outside management necessarily. I'd rather just kind of stick with the current employee, the current culture, if it makes sense. And then I just really lock arms with them. And one of the things that I've found that has allowed me to step back from the business is giving them a very, very good lucrative incentive that ties them to treat the business more like an owner versus an employee. And I figured once I do that, when you get a passionate, motivated person in the driver's seat with a strong incentive tying them to the profitability of the company, then I can just step away and just be there for support and great things happen. Yeah. Now that sounds great. Is the the existing owners are, are typically are they already like are they moving out? Um, and you're going in a situation where, like you said, you meet with the team and trying to figure out who's going to be the next leader, or does a owner typically stick around for a length of time and kind of work with that that person or that team to kind of bring the next leadership team in? You know, from the internal. Yeah, good, good question. Um, and all my the acquisitions that I've done, the owner has been retiring. So the owner, you know, they were around for a couple of weeks just to kind of help answer questions and things like that. But then beyond that, it was just kind of me and the team, and um, we just went from there. Have you gotten involved in any situations where you have had to kind of really roll up your sleeves and, you know, you thought maybe, well, we've got team members, and you know, I could kind of step out after month free, but really I've got to stick around a lot longer, just kind of make sure this thing's going in the right direction. Yeah. There was one business I bought. It was a, it was a Plato's closet store, which is a retail store that buys and sells clothing and uh, customers are, are pretty important to any business. And I remember for my first meeting, when I went in there, a phone call came in from a, uh, a customer during the meeting and the staff ignored it uh, for the first time. The customer called back in and the staff picked up, picked up the phone, kind of rolling their eyes and the customer wanted to come in and, and uh, sell their clothes. And the, the employee said that uh, they're busy the next two weeks, call back later, and then hung up on the customer. So I'm like, okay, this is uh, <laughs> not a really good culture. So that was one. That one definitely took more than three months. Um, and unfortunately, just the culture was so toxic. The team members were just burnt out. Uh, that The ship was so far sunk, it was kind of hard to resuscitate it. So that mm-hmm. was one situation where I did bring in uh, people from my other stores um, and kind of in my current organization to help it and regrew that one up. That's definitely not my preferred method, but that one did take a little bit more time just because of, of how bad the culture was. Yeah. Interesting. So do you go into these um, acquisitions with a an exit already kind of in your mind? Like, do you look at it like, hey, in five to seven years or, or less, uh, I, I want to you know, uh, exit this company or is it the, are these long-term plays? These are all long-term plays. I, I definitely am more of a buy and hold investor. Um, to me, if I'm buying something with the intent of exiting it in you know, five, three to five years or whatever, uh, I'll get a bunch of money, but then I've got to work to find a new investment to put that money into, then to sell it in three to five years. And that's just a lot of work. And I just kind of like just to buy something that I think is going to be around for 10 to 15, 20 years and really hold it for the long term, which I think is an advantage because some, some sellers, not all, 
that that's very important for them. You know, they've been building their business for their entire life, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they want to sell to somebody who's going to kind of steward what they built and continue on their legacy versus just buying something with the intent of flipping it. So I've never sold a business to date. Um, I'm not saying that I would never do it, but I'm definitely looking for a buy and hold. Okay. Is it just you or do you have like a small team that helps you kind of um, assess opportunities, do due diligence? Like what does that whole, that whole process look like? Just it's, it's kind of a mixture. There are some businesses when I'm, I'm a sole owner and um, I'm the one just doing it. I prefer working with partners. I've got a really good partner uh, based out of Illinois. I've got another great partner based out of uh, Louisiana. So I have a couple of different partners around and another one in Texas. So kind of kind of a blend. But I would say you know for most businesses, especially the bigger ones, I would work with partners and investors. Okay. Yeah. Do you just from a financial aspect? Do you have like one holding company where you have the all everything kind of rolled into as as you know, investments or do you have I don't, LLCs of some kind or yeah. Yes. So, so right now everything is its own individual entity, just mainly because the ownership structure is different and in the vast majority of, of the company. So it's something I've thought about and at might point at one point it might work too, but as of right now, they're all separate. Okay, cool. And how do you actually go about assessing opportunities? Do you have a, uh, I know in your LinkedIn, you, you explain kind of what you're looking for, um, but do you actually actively, um, you know, promote that you're looking? Is it, what, what's that look like? Do you have just deal flow coming in? Because it sounds like you're doing it all, most of it yourself, right? Um, right. So well, I'm just curious what that looks like. Is it word of mouth or is that something that you uh, actively promote somehow? Yeah. And this is definitely one of my, uh, my current biggest challenges is finding the opportunities. So a lot of it is just word of mouth, talking to people, networking, relationship building. You know, whenever I, I talk with people, I ask, I just say, hey, I'm looking for businesses. Do you know of anybody who has a business of this size or looking to sell? Um, I, I feel like right now there's a large opportunity with, as a lot of baby boomers age and look to sell their businesses, uh, there's a lot of owners I feel in this spot where it's, they want to sell their business to somebody trustworthy, not necessarily just like an investment firm that's going to exit in three to five years, but they don't really know where to go. And the thought of like hiring a broker, then getting a bunch of just people, potential some tire kickers, reaching out for them, sending out their financials. Like it's a very emotional process, a very personal process. Yeah. So I feel like I definitely have something to offer with that, but it's just... It's making myself known. So that's currently one thing that I'm really focusing on through my LinkedIn or my current uh, networks and relationships is putting the word out there okay. um, to kind of make those connections happen. Yeah. I mean, we, we because uh, we do outsourced accounting, we have a, a, a fair number of clients that come to us and they're thinking on selling. And um, okay. we do a lot of where we get the numbers cleaned up, you know, because some of these companies, I'm not sure if you look at some of these, they kind of, they're small. Small business, not small, but like they're not audited, not compiled numbers. They just do the tax return every year and good businesses, but they're not like you, you really can't print a good set of financials out because they, they got personal expenses flowing through. So you kind of have to normalize the numbers and say, well, you know, how much of that is really your car and how much is that are we paying for your family right. and things like that? So we see a lot of that stuff and you probably... Do you do a lot of do you do a lot of that due diligence when you're looking at companies' financials where you're trying to pull out well, what is the real earnings for this this owner um, or this this entity? Is it something that you spend a lot of time yourself doing? Yep, yep, I do that a lot. Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with that. Yeah, so because we 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 end up having to do it for the owners. They they may be on a cash basis, but you know the numbers look kind of weird because of its cash basis. Right. So we're trying to 
convert it to accruals show like what is the real gross margins you know right you can't present numbers showing like a very high margin one month and no margin the next <laughs> you the cash or or you went out and bought a bunch of whatever it was for the next six months and it sits on the PL and that as a cost and you're like you right know, that so definitely see a lot of that stuff um but yeah keep in mind if you see anything that you think might be a good fit for me i'd appreciate it yeah, you know, we could talk offline. I know a couple of clients that um, we're working with now to clean up the numbers to sell, uh, okay. both in pretty decent, you know, um, industries and simple to understand. I know that's what you, you're looking for. You're not, they're yeah, not, I'm not super smart. So, yeah, it sounds like, you know, you don't want like a manufacturer who, with, you know, has to buy and sell inventory and put a lot of effort into it with job shops and stuff. That's probably a lot more challenging. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, do you spend a lot of time ahead of time with even the team? Because you mentioned te- the management, culture, that sort of thing. So when you're looking at these opportunities, some people are very driven by the numbers, which you need to look at numbers anyway, obviously. But I know there are some people that spend a lot more time, like you mentioned earlier, on culture. Is it the right team? Am I going to be able to work with these these people? Is that you spend a lot of time with doing that or, you know, just as you're reviewing these clients or companies? Yeah. As, as much as I can, it's, it's somewhat of a delicate dance because, you know, for, from a lot of seller standpoint, they don't really want their staff knowing they're selling uh, necessarily. So they don't, it's, it's tough to really introduce myself and things like that. That happened one time with the business. And unfortunately the deal fell through at the 11th hour after I had been introduced with the owner. So that kind of was a not super great experience. Um, but anyways, as much as possible, I, yes, I'd like to do that. That, that is challenging with, with some sellers. So I try to get, you know, get there as best as I can. I, I, what's most important for me is really just wherever the top guy is going to be. So like if they have a manager that's been with them for 15 years, like one question I always ask sellers, is there somebody in your current company who I could give some sweat equity to and, and make them actual, actual part owner uh, alongside me uh, who's been with the company for a long time and yada, yada, yada. And then if the answer is yes, that person I definitely want to meet with, uh, you know, have several meetings with and really understand um, what is that person like? What motivates them? Um, do, do we resonate with my core values or their core values? I spend a tremendous amount of time validating that because to me, that's the most important thing. And then, um, and then everything else I do as much as I can. But I feel like as long as like the business makes sense, the fundamentals are, are there and my right-hand person, we're in sync, then we can, we can overcome pretty much any challenge that comes. How often do you actually... Um... Are you in communication with these co- the companies? Is this like a daily thing where you, you do check-ins and things like that? Because like you know, there's six, six different ones and they're spread out, and you have probably multi-location type entities. So, is this something where you know on a daily basis what's happening for at each company, or is it? A little so, less- um, <clears throat> I read a book called Traction, and we use the EOS model. I think you mentioned that you use that as well in your company. <laughs> And that has definitely saved me a tremendous amount of time. So, you know, with, with that, we have our weekly level 10 meetings. And, and with those, I'll have those kind of in, in each division. So, and I do those on Monday. Uh, we just have them be an hour. I think the book's just an hour and a half, but we just have ours as, as an hour. So Mondays are kind of like my touch point when I'm taking the pulse of everything. We have a weekly scorecard with our, our top metrics. We pretty much follow the EOS model to, to a T there. All, you know, all the issues get tossed in the IDS for those meetings. I'm not dealing with that throughout the rest of the week. So it just kind of, you know, frees my mind. So I get clarity and other things. So Mondays are my time when I do that. So I probably spend 
you know, four or five hours on calls on Mondays, touching all the different uh, people in all, in all the different industries that I'm in. And then the rest of the week, I mainly spend, you know, looking for acquisitions or if we're taking some strategic initiatives and in some of those brands to really grow them, then I'll focus on that the rest of the week. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, we mentioned EOS earlier and, um, we, we do it here. We use a software. Uh, I think it's 90.io, which is kind of a, you know, that level 10 meeting you mentioned once a week. Yeah, we do we do the 90-minute one, but um, it, it walks us through like, okay, you're done with five minutes talking about, you know, scorecard. Move on to the okay. next section. And it, it keep, definitely keeps us on track. So we, you know, um, and we do our quarterly setting up our rocks and things like that. So um, yep. we do the same thing. Yep. Wait, are a lot of those companies, because it sounds like you put that in place for these companies that probably never had them, never had it before. Is that kind of a change? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. None of the companies have ever had it before. And it's really a big wave of relief for them because it just reduces the emails and the text messages. So like, you know, I, I tell my managers and myself, like we don't email each other, like unless something is, is super urgent, but whenever we do, we follow up with the text because it's a very rare, rare instance. Yeah. Um, we use a software called Notion. I don't know if you've heard that. That kind of I use that right. to kind of manage the company, and we also kind of integrate our level ten meetings and IDS in there. Yeah. So I tell like you know the managers rather than emailing me on a Thursday with an issue, just log on to Notion and drop it in IDS, and then we'll just organically get to it uh, at our meeting next week. So, anyways, it, I've never brought a company that has had that system, and every time I've done it, it's always been uh, a blessing, and the, and the team has really appreciated it. Do you do you rate the uh... Do you, the the people the people analyzer? Do you use that for the, at these companies and try to figure out, you know, who's our rock stars and who aren't? You know, um, just uh, yes, you know, I, I had some challenge implementing the people analyzer uh, because, like, so for example, if we're going to do the people analyzer, we want to give it out to the staff to kind of all rate each other. It's a delicate balance. Like, I, I need to make it as easy for the staff to do as possible. Um, on their own in private, so they don't have to worry about anybody seeing their score. Then they have to submit the scores anonymously, and then we have to like kind of compile it to get averages. So I, I've struggled a little bit trying to find like a software or something that just does that. Um, yeah. If you know of anything, please let me know. Um, so we, we do have the people analyzer, and we do use it, especially if we feel like people aren't really a culture fit or whatever. It's kind of a way to communicate with that with them in a tangible way. Because if you're trying to say like a soft skill isn't quite there, sometimes it's hard to define that in black and white. And the people analyzer definitely helps us do that. Um, but I, I'm not super happy with our solution. That's something I am trying to figure out. Yeah. I mean, we're a smaller company. We don't we don't actually have our own people analyze themselves. We, we came up with our core values. I think we have five of them. We read it or actually i read it to the team when we first did this like here are our core values and we it's interesting the way we came up with them as we looked at our um, best employees and 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 tried to figure out well what makes them our best employees what are the values Mm -hmm. that they have created those values and then when we get together quarterly we don't do this at our level 10 but when we get together quarterly we actually as a management team we look at all our employees and put in and rate them plus minus, or, you know, right. plus minus. And, um, and then if somebody's got the two minuses, according to EOS, it's like they're toxic, right? So you don't, you know, either you get rid of them or make them a, a better team member. And right. we, we try to make them better, but many times they, there's a reason why there's, they're not, that they, they have the minuses They they probably have to go. So, right. unfortunately, so 100%. Yeah. 
we mentioned earlier in our prep call, like you, you focus on the rock, more or less the rock star, the good, the really good ones. And don't spend a lot of time on the ones that are toxic. You just kind of have to get rid of them. That's what it sounds like. Right. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's I, I think it's a great system. It's, it sounds awesome that you're putting it, you instill it at every business you purchase. And uh, I'm sure the management team likes it, right? Because they've never had anything like that before. Oh, yeah, they like it. Yeah. It, it allows them to just focus on what they love about their job versus all the bureaucracy or the stuff behind the scenes. They just get to go out and yeah. do what they love. So it's very nice. So how many, just from a purchaser of companies, how many companies would you like to have in the long run? It sounds like you're constantly looking, right? Is it, can you, can you foresee a portfolio of 20, 30 companies that you own? Or is this, is there a, a fine oh, yeah, amount? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel, you know, obviously I don't know what I don't know. And, and I keep hitting, you know, glass ceilings as, as I've expanded and I run into new problems that I never foresaw. Um, I mean, I, I love that though. I love the problem solving and figuring that out. So yeah, I, I feel very confident I could scale up to 20, 30, you know, 40 companies. It, to me though, it, it's not, it's not like a game of how many companies, I mean, sure. I could find one company that's, you know, making, you know, 2 million in income. If I could grow it to make 20 million in income, I'd be fine with just one company for a very long time. So to me, no, I don't have a goal with the quantities of companies. I just want to keep expanding the empire. I've had a lot of people who've been loyal with me for a long time. I love watching them, them rise. I love learning about new industries. It just kind of increases my worldview. And it's just a more exciting and fulfilling way to live, you know, like aside from the money, I mean, obviously money is important, but, um, but to answer your question, I don't have a specific number that I'm shooting for, but I don't, like I have plenty of time, so I, I don't foresee myself reaching like a breaking point anytime in the near future. And I'm, I feel confident that I'd be able to figure it out and ways to systematize it. So it wouldn't get too out of hand. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it sounds like you probably would need more team members too. If you, uh, as you start to grow, just in, in having more companies under your, in, in your portfolio of companies. And yeah. And like right now, one of my biggest problems is I've got a lot of you know, employees or team members have been with me for a very long time and they're arguably overqualified for their current position. So I'm, I'm trying to grow so I can elevate them up. And it's like, I've, I've got the talent and, and the people and all that kind of stuff. I just need the opportunities now to kind of unleash sure. all that. And so that's my big focus. Could you see, is there any, like, I guess I'll call it cross-pollination where you can take someone who may be a great manager at, you know, one company, and say, you know, I, I could use your skills over here to help me because we have an issue, whatever it is over here in this, this other company that I want to use you on. Does that, does that ever happen or could you see that happening? Yeah. It hasn't happened much as of, uh, as of recently. Like I can't think yeah. of any time when I've done that, but it absolutely could happen in the future. Uh, because like one thing I've learned is like with running businesses, they do different things, but at the end of the day, a business is a business and managing people is managing people, you know, people, you know, emotions are emotions and all that, all that kind of stuff. So I definitely see that that could be something that would happen in the future, just because of the way there's the talent pools have been going, the opportunities I haven't had to do that yet, but yeah. I definitely could see that happening. Yeah. Cause I, I could think of, let's say a company that has a great sales person, a sales manager. Right. And another one you have maybe lagging in sales, or maybe they just have a less sophisticated team because they're homegrown and they just, you know, you, you want to scale it, but they're probably not, they're at that limit where you could pay, probably take this person and go, okay, I need you over here for a little bit, just kind of like help me out, figure out the, the, uh, the best system and elevate the current members and then go back type of thing. So I can right. actually see some opportunities there, it sounds like. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
So is there certain companies that you, we talked about manufacturing a little while ago that you will like not even go near, like just, you just kind of like, that's just not my thing. I don't even, um, you know, I don't want to probably, you know, and I'm always open to changing my mind, you know, open-mindedness is one of my core values. So I I don't like to have a closed mind, but just as a general broad brushstroke, probably no tech companies. Um, I'm really looking for those boring businesses, those businesses that have been around for 20, 30 years, like, you know, companies that make chewing gum or something like that. Like, you know, no, no matter how fast our internet speeds go or what kind of new electronic gadgets comes out, chewing gum is probably not going to change all that often. So like, I just like kind of, you know, boring businesses that are under the radar that are very essential and necessary. So nothing super tech related, um, nothing that's super capital intensive. So probably a lot of manufacturing things that you're constantly replacing machines and things like that. Right. Uh, nothing that requires like a super intelligent scientist to like develop chemicals in a lab or anything like that. You know, that's again, it's a bit, a bit beyond me. Um, so yeah, nothing with a lot of like research and development costs or things like that. So yeah. I don't know if that, if that answered your question or narrowed it down, but that, that's yeah, kind of where my mind like, goes. Um, it's almost like uh, that book went up on wall street. He used, he used to say, you know, go after like in, in the stock market, he would go after like ADP or something like, none of these like real sexy companies. It was just like boring processing companies or something like that. And that's where the, the big increase yeah. in stock prices were for a lot of for years. It's probably the, the same with companies like this, the stable, they're boring. Nobody's trying to get in and, you know, disrupt the market, you know, exactly. Competition is less. It's just, it's easier. And I mean, I don't know. I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I love operating in there. Yeah. Well, that's great. But what, um, how did you actually, get involved in, um, you, you mentioned you were, you have an engineering background. So how'd you get involved in doing this type of work? So I went to school at, uh, Kettering university in Flint, Michigan, and, um, I got my degree in electrical engineering and at Kettering it's a co-op school. So the way it works is you go to school for three months, then you work for three months as an engineer, then you go to school for three months, work for three months on and off. So I was fortunate enough to get engineering experience while I was in, in school. And I remember one day I was uh, talking to my coworkers and I asked them like, you know, what was the most exciting part about their job? And they said that they really enjoy that twice a year, they get to have blue jean Fridays, which is when they get to wear blue jeans to work. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I'm like, okay, there's gotta be more to life than this. Like this, this doesn't sound like that's the highlight of, of what we got going on. That this doesn't sound very exciting. So I was kind of, I kind of got a bad taste in my mouth really early on for, uh, for engineering. I love the logic problem solving this of it, but just not that. So I've always been into entrepreneurship. So I decided to kind of go down more of that route. So shortly after I graduated in 2008, I, I actually, like the day after I graduated, I put in my two week notice at, with my engineering job. So I worked as an engineer with my degree for two full weeks. And then um, I became a franchise consultant and just kind of things kind of kept going from there. Yeah. It, and it sounds like you like franchises, right? Cause they're, they're already kind of existing and, um, or will you look at any a business that's not a franchise it doesn't matter or i'm actually i'm actually trying to focus on non-franchises so everything that i've done has been franchises and a good majority of the businesses that i have now i actually started from the ground up Uh, again they're franchising so i didn't i'm not smart enough to come up with the uh the concept but i built them from the ground up Mm -hmm. but i'm really looking for things that are not in in franchising franchising is definitely beneficial um, for like startup entrepreneurs because you're buying into a system but a downside with franchising is if a franch if a franchise is any good you're you're going to hear about it, you're going to know about it but if you know about it a bunch of other people know about it 
So then all the territory is going to get gobbled up. And a lot of franchisors, they don't get very big protected territories. So cannibalism becomes a real thing. Even if you do have a franchise that uh, gives you bigger protected territories, other companies are going to start franchising in that space. So it's kind of like the fast casual pizza places, like mm-hmm. those caught on, you know, like wildfire a while ago. And now it's like, whenever I go to any kind of major intersection, there's three competing ones in that space. So with the franchising model, it's just very competitive. It's really hard to find a good concept. By the time you find a good concept, almost all the territory is gone so that you can only go so far in it. So again, I love franchising. That's pretty much everything that I have now. So you can definitely make it in that. But when I'm focusing more on acquisitions, I really like to find something that's not a franchise. Something that's just under the radar, just a nice, like I said, stable business, like a, a family-owned business that's been running for 40 years. The owner's looking to retire and they um, either, you know, they don't have kids or the kids don't want it. They don't really have a succession plan and they want just like a nice neighborhood investor like myself who will take care of their legacy. So I'm really trying to get out of franchising for that reason, okay. but I'm not opposed to it. So if someone's looking to sell a franchise business, I would definitely look at, look at it. And how do you like to structure the deals? Is it typically, is there a sell of financing? Do you have your own financing? Um, you know, earn outs? Is it, do you have a kind of a, a way you do it or is every deal has been different. Every deal is different. I've done all cash. I've done um, j- just myself with like with bank financing. I've done mm-hmm. seller financing. I've done uh, earnouts when you know like the the seller felt like the business was going was going up. <clears throat> it was going to make more money than it had in the past. Yep. So, but you know, I, I didn't want to to risk paying for future performance that wouldn't actually come. But I also didn't want to shortchange the seller and pay them less than it's worth. So basically, we came up with a price that was based on the company's previous earnings, and then they got a little you know earnout provision if uh, if sales increase they got more so i've done them all and what's important for me like i, I don't like just to get the best price i mean obviously i don't want to overpay for something sure. but i would rather you know pay more than possible and have it be a fair deal for both the seller and myself so we have a positive relationship after the deal is closed mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the way that i like to work so that's why i'm very open-minded to deals that work for both the seller and myself versus just what i'm looking for okay well, that sounds good yeah. and do you is are you a member of any kind of group like for your own professional development and learning t- these type of things, whether it's purchasing businesses, selling, what you know, structuring? Do you rely on any kind of uh, you know, this stage provides? I'm, I'm a member of EO Entrepreneurs Organization. Um, is there something that you you kind of are part of, or is are you kind of at this point been kind of learning as you go? Right, you've been doing this for now how many years now? Twelve years? Fourteen? 15, yeah. Fourteen? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, great, great question. So up to now, the answer is no, I haven't been part of any organization. Mm-hmm. I read all the time. I love reading and just networking and, and just my relationship with other business owners. I'm currently in the process of applying for EO. You mentioned that earlier as well yeah. as a YPO. So I'm currently going through the, the process of both of those organizations. I do want to join an organization like that because I feel like it's very beneficial. I just haven't done it uh, as of yet. Yeah. I mean, whatever group you join, I think they all have benefits and uh, you don't feel, you don't feel like you're kind of alone out there and you can bang ideas off other business owners. Cause like right. earlier, every business essentially does not that they sell or uh, have the same product or service, but the business runs pretty much the same as cash flow, there's receivables, there's payables, there's sales. <laughs> right. So yeah. And, and there's nothing out there that hasn't been solved or someone else hasn't confronted exactly. the same issue. So it's, it's it's refreshing when you bring up something like a, like as I mentioned EO, you bring up something in a meeting and someone goes yeah I had the same exact experience or here's what I that's helped me and you're like okay and you're constantly taking notes and whether it's reading a, a different 
book that somebody brought up or a podcast that somebody mentioned, like you have to listen to this person and you know, it's, right. that, that's what kind of happens with, with us. So, uh, or we, yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to joining one of those groups for the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. So what, what do you see like, you know, opportunities for the future? Is there any kind of companies you're kind of currently looking at that you're like thinking on, you don't have to mention obviously names or anything, but just any opportunities you're thinking of now that you're looking at. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of my uh, partners and I are looking at a company. They, um, yeah, I have a NDA, so I can't, you know, disclose too much yeah, information. Yeah, yeah. But basically, they sell and support uh, different machines and devices that like grocery stores use and things okay. like that. Yeah. Something like that, you know, I love it because I mean, grocery stores are probably going to be here in some way, shape, or form in, you know, right. 10, 15, 20 years, or we're going to have to buy our, our, our produce and meat somehow. So, uh-huh. yeah. um, so, so it just kind of seems like, you know, future proof. It's also under the radar. It's just not a lot of, spotlight on that. It's not really tech, you know, I mean, it uses machines, but it's not like, you know, heavy software development, things like that. And, um, yeah, the, the, the current owners they've owned it for over 40 years. So it's been around for a while. Um, very, nice. very stable earnings. And I'm actually like very, very excited about the opportunity. So cool. we're still pretty early on, so we'll see how it goes, but, uh, overall I'm pretty excited for that. Awesome. Um, and just let's switch over to just talk about you briefly. What, Tell me about yourself. You're, are you from Michigan? Um, you know, a little bit, you mentioned you went to school in Flint, I think, right? Is that what you said? Or, yep. yep. So just, just a little bit maybe about your background. Yeah, I'm bo- born and raised in Michigan. And um, I grew up in Milford, which is like kind of in a somewhat suburb of Detroit. And I went to school at Kettering University up in Flint uh, with my electrical engineering degree. And pretty much right out of that, I got into to business ownership. Um, the, the first business I owned or I opened was a uh, disc replay, which is a store. It's a retail store that buys and sells video games, movies, and electronics. Okay. And this was in 2009 during the great recession. So a lot of people were losing money. It was, it was pretty intense, a lot of economic hard times, but, uh, I, I'm a video game nerd and it, it, this is basically a store where you can sell your games and electronics and things like that. So it helped people yeah. get cash during the hard time. You can also buy stuff at a discount. So you still, it, you it was really good for the recession. Yep. Yep. That was my first business. Uh, I actually opened it in Flint and, uh, and yeah, things have been going well. Nice. Nice. And, um, not married, still single, just enjoying life. Um, yeah, I am, uh, I am dating someone, my girlfriend, Kelly, and, uh, it's actually our nine year anniversary today. So we're oh. going to, to dinner to this to celebrate. Um, but yeah, as of right now though, I'm not married. Cool. Well, just not, cause you're, you're a pretty young guy. So I mean, just leads me to the question of when you're going into these well-established businesses with an owner who's retiring. So obviously they're, you know, 40 years older than you, give or take. I mean, how is that from a reception of the current management team when they see this young guy come in like, hey, he's, he's going to be our, our new boss, so to speak. Uh, right. Have you, have you felt that feeling like they're kind of looking at you like, what does this kid know, you know, and how can he help us type of thing? I mean, is that something? Yeah. That's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I, I've definitely experienced it before and I, I think I'm pretty good at navigating it. So like, like if I, I mentioned when I, when I first take over a business, the first month that I, I spent, I really focus on the team and having one-on-ones with them and things like yeah. that. So a lot of times I'll just address the elephant in the room up front. So if, if I'm meeting with someone and if they're, you know, 30 years older than me, they've been doing this for a while. I'll sit down with them and be like, Hey, so obviously, you know, infinitely more than I do about this industry. I'm very new to it. So I'm going to rely a lot on you. Um, you know, what, what are some things that I can do to earn your trust? Or what are some things that I can do to, to help make your job easier? And like, uh, um, how can we work together? And one th- one of my other core values is radical honesty and transparency. 
Um, and I got this from uh, Ray Dalio with how he runs uh, his company, Bridgewater. Uh, but I, I just love being radically honest and radically transparent with people. So with these team members, let's say, if you think I'm doing a bad job, just tell me that I'm doing a bad job. And I, I don't want you to sugarcoat it and say, hey, you could be doing better or something like that. Like, no, just, just tell me I'm doing a bad job and I'm not going to review it as an attack. Hopefully you don't mean it as an attack and we can talk through it. So I really kind of paved the way for just upfront and honest communication. So it's not like they, um, I, I enjoy when team members disagree with me. I enjoy a healthy amount of conflict and I encourage them, especially you know if they're more senior than I am and they know about the business. It's like, hey, you're the expert here. Um, I, I kind of view my role as more as a servant to help you and support you in your job. So your job is easier. So, you know, I'm really good at, at tech things that can make your job easier. So you can have, have a much more enjoyable time, but I'm not going to come here trying to tell you how to do your job any better than you already know how to do it. So I know I kind of rambled there a little bit, but I just have, I just have a very open conversations like that. And that definitely builds a pretty strong bridge of trust. Um, for some people, they, they just don't want to work for somebody, you know, as, as, as young as I am. And, and that's fine. But for most people though, we're, we're just, we're able to talk through it and have a really good working relationship. No, that's great. Yeah. Cause I, I assume there would be the elephant in the room where somebody, some gr- gray haired person who's been in the business for years and maybe was the right hand person of the, the guy or the woman who's selling the business, they couldn't buy it. They just weren't in that position. They have a young person coming in that's buying this thing. That's like, what you know, they don't know anything about this business. Right. It's nice that you confront it right away, and um, like you said, a healthy com- uh, confrontation, conflict. I mean, sometimes it's needed. You got to get through it, and you're better off on the other side, which is good. So yeah. I also run my businesses with a very strong sense of collaboration. So I, I, I usually don't sit here in my office in front of a spreadsheet and come up with my, you know, my own corporate goals or whatever, then present them to the staff and say, okay, here it is, go, go do it. Um, I, I, I use collaboration and I really encourage my team because again, I'm not, I'm not that smart. Like if I'm in a bunch of different industries, I, I can't know everything about every single industry that I'm in. Yes. So with those more senior members, I, I mean, when I say senior, I just mean people have experience, not necessarily age. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll invite them into the table. I'm like, well, where do you guys want to take the company? You know, like, I don't, I don't know as good as you do. Like, what are some of your ideas? And I, I have some ideas I can share, but what do you think should be good goals? And then I, I also love incentives. So I'll say, you know, what type of incentive could I give you that would really make you take ownership and feel like an owner of the company and have you take part in the success? So you, you don't feel like you're just working so I can benefit off of all your, you know, um, sweat, blood, and tears. Like, how can I make you a part of that? So I, I'm very collaborative and I love their opinion. I'm good at listening and making them feel heard. And it really quickly, any, any of those barriers that we have just start to melt away. And we just start, we lock arms as team members versus like a boss employee type dynamic. I, I do love that you ask them, like, what do I need to, you know, what incentive do I need to give you so that you feel like an owner or that you have yeah. in the, this whole growth and process. So I, I, I don't, here many people ask their employees of that, you know, so I, I think that's such great. Yeah. And, and to me, it's crazy. Well, well I shouldn't say it's crazy because, you know, for my first like nine years, I, I didn't do it myself either. And it's just, it's so much, it's so much work to, to sit here. I mean, I remember I had meetings with, with my business partners and like, we would spend, you know, like, like a full week trying to come up with these incentive plans. And we're like, do you think this will motivate them? Do you think this will motivate them? What if we did this? Is this too complicated? Is this too simple? And it's just like, duh, just, Bring, the, bring them into the room and say, hey, would this work? If not, what do you think? So when you start asking the team members their opinion, then what do they think? Like just as the business owner or manager, I mean, your work is so much easier and like it, it just, it goes so much quicker. And then because they're part of that, because they're, they're part of coming up with their incentive or their goals or whatever, they take ownership in it. And they're going to follow that much more intensely than anything you could just present them. Yeah. And I think different 
employees or team members will want different things. Like somebody may want more time off or somebody it's real, it's more salary related. Um, exactly. Some are looking for help with benefits. And so one size doesn't fit all. And if you're, if you're asking them and they go and they tell you, then I, that's, you're cutting through all that stuff like you mentioned earlier. Um, yes. And you're customizing a little bit more for those folks. So I think that's awesome. Um, yeah. Cool. And then like outside of work, what do you, what do you, what do you like to do outside of work? You know, are you, you know, um, yeah. Are your video games you said you like, uh, it's, yeah, I, I like, <laughs> yeah, I love, uh, I love video games. I love reading. Uh, one of my passions is writing. I actually just wrote a, a short story. That's like a fictional nonfiction book. Um, I don't know. Have you ever read the book, uh, who moved my cheese? I have not read it. I've heard about it. Uh, uh, you, you're like okay. a second podcast person's mentioned it. Um, but yes, um, I definitely. And it's, it's kind of like a, it's been around a long time, right? Yeah. So. Yes. Yes. So, so that book, it's like, it takes like less than an hour to read. It's a short story and it's a fictional story about mice in a maze trying to find cheese and things like that. But it's a book that is teaching a lesson on how to deal with change. You know, I, as humans, a lot of times we resist change or we kind of we get defensive when it comes by. So it's just like a different perspective. And I really like that book. I have my managers read that book. It was a really good book. So I read all the time and I love teaching. So I just wrote a short story that I'm in the, the process of uh, publishing. That's kind of like that. It's like a fictional nonfiction book it takes less than an hour to read. And it kind of teaches a life lesson in an entertaining way, because I think that we remember stories better than we remember just facts. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, to answer your question though, like writing is a, uh, is a pretty big passion of mine. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I love reading books that are in the form of a story that teach something. Yeah. You know, the, the last one I read was uh, the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lucioni. And it, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Hopefully I, I did. Um, but it was, it was about team members who all had different perspectives on, you know, the growth of the company. And right. There were people that were resistant, some that weren't, but it, it really taught about, you know, team management uh, in the form of a story. And it was actually really good because some of the team members in the story left because it just didn't work for them. But right. it went through that whole process because there was somebody kind of like you that came in as a new president and had to deal with an existing management team that had all different, you know, um, thoughts on how the company should grow or where, or where it was. Mm-hmm. And um, great book, actually. Uh, it's a business book, but it was a story. And that's what keeps you interested. So and what was that called again? Um, the five dysfunctions of a team. Okay. I'll check that out. I'm yeah. looking for good book recommendations. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a quick read. Um, and it, it's really good. It's, um, yeah, I won't go into it now, but in, if, if I'm wrong on that title, I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> I'll tell you afterwards. Right. Um, I probably butchered the author's name, but, um, it was good. It's great. Um, that in like predictable success, which is not a story, but it talks about the stages, the growth of a company and how to okay. get it to the predictable success stage. I'm not sure if you um, have ever read that book, Les McEwen. I, I have not, no. So it's, it's pretty good. It talks about, you know, the growth of a company from the infancy stage where it's like just trying to like get cash. And obviously you're not dealing with those type of companies, but like, they're just trying to get cash in the door. And then there's like the fun stage, which is, hey, we're rolling, you know, money's coming in, we're getting new clients, everyone's happy, and we're kind of having fun. And then the, the next stage is what they call the whitewater, where it's like, holy crap, you know, it's like <laughs> systems are not where they should be. There's all these com- clients coming in, 
where like things are slipping through the cracks. Customer service isn't that great. We're just we're trying. We're just kind of fumbling along, and they call it whitewater. Right. And getting through that to what they call predictable success, um, and how you have to bring in different players. You, you know, like at the whitewater stage, you need to pe- bring in more of like a processor, people who are like, we got to get our systems in place, our eyes dotted, our T's crossed. Right. You know, before that, the processor could stifle a company because it's you know growing. Um, but it talks about after predictable success if the visionary the person who's like has the visionary leaves because it typically the processor is like hey we got to do have all these systems and the visionary is like you know what i'm out of here because this is way too systematized for me and the company can go into a death spiral because the processor mm-hmm. runs it the visionary is gone so that that's a really good book too um okay so less McEwen. cool well awesome. well thank you for the recommendations yeah yeah so and so where can people find you um, if they want to connect outside of the podcast, um, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way I would say is, yeah. uh, just to come up on LinkedIn, send me a message or, or connection request. So it's spelled uh, Nick and then L E J A Leisure, right? Yeah. My first name is Nick N I C K. My last name is Leja L E J A. Okay, cool. And you have various websites for your companies is like the wax center and Plato's closet and, um, yeah, just a lot of those are the franchise websites. Um, okay. I'm in the process of actually coming up, um, coming with my own website. So pretty soon, uh, nicklegit.com will be a, a website. Okay, it's, cool. I'll be live here in the next like two to three weeks, just kind of finishing that up on my end. So that going forward, that'll probably be the best way. But as of right now, just LinkedIn, just looking for Nick Legia in, uh, in Michigan. That's probably the, the fastest way. So people and listening, if you want, you can put a link in the comments so people can click on that. Okay. That'll be cool. And pe- if people are listening and they like, they want to sell and they seem to be- meet your criteria, be gr- they could hopefully connect with you. Which yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to love to hear from people for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to pitch what you're kind of looking for one more time, just from a, just a very high level criteria, you know, go for yeah. it. Yours, yeah. Right? Very, very simply. Uh, I'm just looking for simple, easy to understand businesses. Uh, nothing super flashy with like the latest technology necessarily. Um, I, I, ideally family owned businesses that have been around for at least 10 years with relatively stable earnings and they're looking for um, someone who's going to buy their business who is really going to kind of steward and, and steward their business and carry on their legacy. Uh, I'm a long, long-term long hold investor. I have no plans on selling businesses when I buy them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if that's I, and businesses that are making about one to five million and in, in owner, owner income. So that's kind of like a really high level view. So if you have a business that somewhat fits that mold, I'd love to hear from you. So one one to five million, like the owner, what they make, not necessarily the top line, right? The bottom line. Correct. Yes. yes. Correct. Like net, like net operating income. People want to, yeah. Just want to make sure they understand that. So. Um, yep. Um, great. So, this has been awesome. I love to follow up, like in six months or a year, and see where you're at with some with your yeah for sure stuff, any new stuff. Um, hopefully, people will connect because uh, it sounds like you know you you are a great purchaser. Cause you're not looking to flip something you're looking to carry on a legacy hopefully and uh, i think that's awesome and you get some good ideas uh implementing eos i think is huge i'm a big proponent of that so when these companies get that implemented you typically see them scale you know faster than they yeah. were or and so yeah no thank you i want to thank the people who are listening to this are watching this and hopefully if you like it please share it connect with nick um you know, tell your friends and uh, hopefully you, you learn something I did. 
by myself. And again, thank you, Nick. And this has been another episode of Leaders Who Scale. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at leaderswhoscale.com. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class services and cutting-edge tools that help businesses grow and succeed.